the Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Mick Lavelle is my special guest, taking your calls on everything from mushrooms, geraniums and ivy. We've also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls, and this week we start with Linda from Danbury. Good morning, Ken and Mick. Good morning. Uh, I used to work for you, Mick, at Rittle College. Anyway, All right. it's, it's regarding uh, my orchid. Um, a friend of mine bought it uh, Christmas 17, like I've had it a year, or just over a year, and I've managed to get it to flower again. Mm-hmm. When it arrived, it was a beautiful turquoisey blue colour. Right. I've got a beautiful flowers on it, but it's white. Uh, it may, but sometimes they, um, they will treat plants. I mean, the, the classic old one. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how they do it with orchids. But certainly with um, carnations, you, used to, you can't get a blue carnation. No. But then you, you go into a florist and you've got a blue carnation yeah. there. They, they just put dye into the water. Is that so I'm, what I'm not do? entirely sure if that's what they do with the orchids. I mean, any orchid specialist out there, well, for, for years I've always <laughs> classically referred to them as orchids because I don't know too much about them, in fairness. I just I mean, wondered yeah. if it would come up blue again next year or something. Well, it's, it's, it's unlikely on the basis no. that it's come up white this year. I mean, It'll it, come it, the same, uh, I would which think. Type well, is it like one of the Phelanopsis types you've got? Like a, a, round, it's round, it's a big, a big flower, quite like a big a rounded flower with a little sort of tiny daffodil type yeah. trumpet towards the bottom. Yeah, it's like the Phelanopsis, in you know, a moth orchids. Mm. They're, they're mostly uh, whites. There are some pink ones, but ah. blue is an unlikely colour. In fact, blue orchids were really sought after at one time. There's one called a blue vander orchid, which they, uh, they only found it originally because they used to use the orchid roots and all those bits of roots that you've got around the, the orchid itself. Yeah. Um, they used to use that for packing of specimens coming back from Asia. And um, there was a guy decided to, you know, a Q decided to grow one. It came with a blue flower. And this search was on to find this blue orchid in the yeah. wild. You know, So yeah. it's quite unusual colour in the orchids, blues. It, it does happen. It's beautiful, but, yeah. yeah. Well, it so, went with my room beautifully. Oh, well, yeah. It sounds like you're I mean, going to have white with the room now. Oh, I'm going to, yeah. I repotted it in mm-hmm. the summer with... Mm-hmm. Um, orchid bark. compost? Yeah, yeah the yeah. bark compost. And yes, and uh, it's really doing well. I've got another one now to look after. So, well, Linda, anyway, keep, thank keep you in, for that. I keep was in, just hoping and praying it would come up blue again. Linda, so. if it does come blue, give us another yeah. call and let us yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. we're interested to hear. All right. I will. Thank, thank you very much. Let's speak to you again. That's <laughs> Linda from Danbury, and we go to John from Stamford Hope, who's talking about sinks, aren't you? Is that right? Butler sinks, is yeah. it, John? Yes, good morning, Ken and Mick. Um, morning. I would like to talk to you about butler sinks. Right. To what? what to put in them, and then to tell you about the memorial garden, what I have created in Stamfordly Hope. Okay, well, you want to know, you've got a butler sink, it's got, it's got a drain hole, I take mm-hmm. it, in the bottom... You would put a, a stone or an aggregate, some mm. sort of stone, or even old bits of brick and stone across the bottom to see that yeah. you get free drainage. Wouldn't yeah, you, what, you, what you really want is, is like a, a big flat stone to go over the drain hole, but not so it seals it tight. If you like. And then, yeah, as um, Ken says, you can put anything, any sort of gravel if you've got it, or, or like crush up some bricks, brick, or anything like that. Just to make sure that there's really good drainage at the bottom. Then I would use a mix of definitely a John Innes number three in it, wouldn't you? Because long lasting, yeah. isn't it? 
It depends what you want to grow in it, really. I mean, for, for most alpine plants, John is number three with a bit of extra grit in it is perfect. Ideal. If you're wanting to grow... Now, some people love to try and grow all these things like um, hardy cactus outdoors, which might you might think, well, no, cactus aren't hardy outside, but they like the drainage. And you can fill it full of practically just sand with very little organic matter in there. And you can grow some really, really um, drought-requiring plants. So the point I'm making is not to say grow cactus, but saying what you put in there as a, as a compost will really reflect what you intend to grow in it. What do you fancy growing, John? Um, well, I, I, this is why I like your... Evolved, I think right, alpines because... are yeah. possibly the simplest. Yes, they are. Now, it sounds complicated calling them alpines, but we're talking about things like uh, some of the saxifrages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could put small dwarf bulbs in. Yeah, Candytuft, the Candytuft. Ponchios, would Ponchios be all right? You know, they come up like a rose. They they grow to a pot, don't they? Ranunculus, do you mean? Yeah, yeah, but it looks like a poncho, doesn't it, when it comes up like a rose. Yeah, I mean, really, Mm. you could could use anything. If you go to a garden centre or nursery, not quite yet, a little bit later, another month or so, and and look for alpine plants. You'll get a mm. lovely selection. You can get them to flower, or brecia you could have hanging yeah, over the really, side. Yeah, is, is a good steady one. Sedums, yeah. mm. some of the trailing sedums. The, the garden is yours. You could make it really attractive, and then you could cover it with grit over the top. Yeah. It would look really nice, John. Well, so far, um, if people listeners go to rainerfacebook.com, yeah. It will tell you the story of why I have done this. Okay. And tell us briefly then about your memorial garden, because I've got a list of people waiting to talk to us. So what's right, this? Right, what's... this is just quick. Yep. That it's all about all through the conflicts, from World War One straight the way through. And Good. this is why I've done it. And this butler sink is going to go to this memorial garden? Is it in a specific place, John, or is it in your garden? Yeah. No, it's in this. It's in the complex where I live, and I'm facing Stamford Recreation Ground. So a lot of people walk past and see what I've been doing. Mm. Well, get it planted yeah. another month's time, John, and I think you'll add a huge amount of extra interest yeah. to your memorial garden. If you're going to put a nice alpine, I'll give you one tip. It's all called a pasque flower, uh, Pulsatilla vulgaris it's called, but pasque flower, and that was always planted, but allegedly planted by the Romans to signify the end of um, wars, so not a bad thing to put in there, I think. All right, John, pasque flower. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ken. That's all right. That's John from Stanford Hope. Nice to hear people doing something very specific for a memory as well. Muriel from Colchester. We're talking. Wait, aces, is it? Well, indoor? Where you got your aces? Well, you protect like them? I'd like for the you'd garden. L- you'd like um, a geyser? Yes, but there's so many. Yes. And they flower at all different times, or the colours of the leaves change so many yep. different times. Now, I'm so confused because I think there's 129 species or something. You've been looking it up, have you? Um, n- round the garden centres. Right. I'll, so t- I'll tell you confused. what, there's more than 129 species of aces, oh, but yeah, don't, don't let that worry you. There's some good ones which you can consider. And the, well, the, difficult, the difficult thing is, Muriel, right, yeah. firstly consider where you're going to grow. Are you growing it in a container or are you growing it in the garden? No, I live under tree, um, the, the garden's mostly under trees, and I get a lot of shade in the summer. Right. Um, I'd like to grow it in a pot, if possible. That's okay, no. that's not a problem. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. No, but 
but um, I'd like one because some flower, some are colourful, autumn, some are green in the summer, and there's so many. I wonder if you could find me which would give me the best colour throughout right, the summer. Right, there's um. There's a group of them. There's, there's all sorts of hybrids of this. It doesn't really matter particularly which one you get. There's um, a group of the, the Japanese um, cutleaf maples. Dice. The very, yeah. they're very, they're very slow growing, but you can get a lot of them which are actually um, red through the year. Now I can't. No, no variety spring to mind. I'm afraid. Just the way sometimes I think like there is one in one part of the college. And I think what is that? The, the name of it? I can't think. But there's lots but and lots of varieties. You're looking for Acer dissectum, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, Acer palmatum. Palmatum Acer dissectum. palmatum dissectum. Yeah, and the dwarf Acer ones. Dissect. Dissectum. So dissect Dissectum. with U-M on the end, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But it's, it's, it's a variety of Acer palmatum, a very dwarf. And there's lots and lots of good um, varieties of this. So they're all Japanese bred. The Japanese have been breeding these for, for uh, centuries. And um, you'll get some dwarf ones. Around. They like to be in dappled shade rather than deep shade. Mm. Okay, I didn't so want a baby one. I, I'd want one to grow... Couple of feet or something, you know. No, well, this will. will. They're a bit slow growing, and, but, and they yeah. grow side, slightly yeah. sideways, yeah. so that you'll get a side side effect. So they'll oh, be flat. The, the reason I'm saying get the dissectum one, the, it looks almost like flame uh, when they're um, when you get purple ones. The purple ones actually go red in the autumn. Uh, oh. This is the green ones. You get yellow ones, green ones, purple ones, all sorts of different varieties. Um, I, you'd have to maybe sort of look up. But if you if you look up look it up online. Have a look at ones you uh, you fancy. Make a sort of short list of what... Better to make a list of the characteristics that you like about it rather than think, I want that variety. Because a nursery may not have that, but they may have uh, a similar one. And then go along to a good quality tree, uh, a tree and shrub nursery to see if you can get one of those. And some of the orangey-yellow upright ones, which are slow-growing, they mm. are very difficult to keep growing. I mean, I, yeah. I think the dissectum will give you the yeah. simplest one to grow, Muriel. Main thing is don't, don't overfeed them. Don't put them in a windy spot. Let them grow slowly. Let them grow surely. You'll, you'll get a really good um, response. from them. Put them in a really nice pot. It's a really nice plant deserves a really nice pot. Okay. Oh, compost. Okay. Well, com- compost, oh. I'd say a John Lewis number three, because it's going to be in there for the long term. John Lewis okay. number three. Yeah. All right, Muriel. Okay, thank you very much. Time now to take a look at plant of the week, which is Prunus sapultella. Now, what is that? Well, it could be Prunus pendula, it could be winter flowering cherry, or it could be autumn flowering cherry. How about that? Winter, autumn, pendula, sapultella. See? or even spring flowering cherry, if you like. Anyway, it's a small deciduous flowering cherry from Japan. It's never been found in the wild, so it's actually a hybrid. Um, White pinkish flowers, at this time of the year, you see them in people's front gardens. And the nice thing about it is that it gives you the leaves turn a yellowy, rich colour in the autumn. So, in fact, you get two sort of bites at the cherry, in a way, because you get the flower in the spring... And you get the autumn colour as well. Um, the thing I like to do with the, with the uh, flowers is actually is cut them pre-Christmas and you can take them indoors and they'll open indoors and they look really good. So they're a nice one that you can use indoors. How about where do I plant it? Well, because it's not a massive tree, and I mean in 20 years it only grows between 4 and 8 metres. So you know, it's 20 feet maximum three meters wide it's an easy one it'll tolerate any aspect in a garden it puts up with pretty well every soil unless it's waterlogged prunus hate waterlogging what are the problems well 
hadn't got many. Bullfinches like the buds, <laughs> like they do gooseberry buds and all fruit buds. Um, and remember, you don't prune it in winter, just like all cherries and stone fruits. Uh, you prune in summer because that will stop it getting bacterial canker, silver leaf and blossom wilt and all those other nasty diseases. Other than that, it's simple. It's a lovely one. If you want to propagate it and be a bit bold, you can do it from seed. Uh, after that lovely pinky white flower, it produces a black seed or you can take hardwood cuttings. Is it worth growing? I think so brightens you up in the winter period with those pinky white flowers at this time of the year. So go on, for simplicity, prunus pendula, winter flowering cherry, spring flowering cherry, it's a lovely little tree. Sorry to have kept you waiting, Eve, but you're talking about a no cactus. Problem. A cactus, no is that right? Yes, um, it's a piece of, that I've replanted um, and it's coming along beautifully. Uh, on one of the leaves, I've noticed a little of them... Um, I'm not sure if it's a, um, a seed pod or a bulb coming. Um, now, what do what, I do what, Hang on. It? Is it a what, cr is Christmas it? cactus? What we call Christmas cactus? Has it got flat yes. leaves? Yes. Right, yeah. A little. If you've got a little rounded, almost like pointy egg-shaped bud with lots of scales on it, is that what it looks like? Yes. Yes, it's a flower. Flower bud. Yeah, it's a flower bud, yeah. They... The trick with Christmas cactus, a lot of people this time of the year say, oh, my Christmas cactus hasn't flowered. Um, if it gets too warm or if it gets too much light in the evening, it won't, It needs to have short days to, to start to produce the buds. Now, if you've got it on a windowsill in a, a room which is not stone cold, but like not uh, particularly sort of uh, heated to, to a high degree, they'll flower really reliably. They just, you know, they just need a daylight. They need to be out just out of direct sunlight is probably about all you need to do for them. And I certainly have got one at home and I just put it out in the garden in the summer. Which is what my, 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 one of my kids brought home and never looked after something. So what's interesting as well, Eve, is that they're sold as Christmas cactus and then they reinvent them and call them Easter cactus as well, don't they? Yeah, so well, when well, they're well, flowering Easter, I think well, it's I the same one, is, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's in fact it's a flower. There are because a couple of species which have been used in breeding programs. Some of them are cultivars now, but they'll, they'll generally the Slimbergia, which is the, yeah. the genus, will flower any time between around about December and um, and late March, early April. Ah. Uh. So if it hasn't flowered yet, get it into a room where it's just going to get daylight during the day and not too much heat. And it no, will... it's, fully, it's fully flowering, mm -hmm. but it's just this one little, it looks like a 20 pence piece size, and it's in the shape of a, a bulb mm. or a seed pod. Oh, if it's flowered, oh. it may be a seed pod then. Oh, it could be yeah. a seed. That's big, 20, 20 pence. Mm. Is, are they that big? Seed. I don't you know. I'm, I'm racking my brains. I'm trying to think they're... what a seed pod looks like. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what... Um, do you ever use the internet or anything or not? No, I'm not no. technology. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, can you, Eve, can you keep an eye on it and let us know what happens to it? Because what might happen is it might open and then you can tell us it's definitely a seed pod. We'd be very interested, Eve. Okay. Can you do that for Thank me? You. And I'll, yes. I'll also ask if anybody else has, knows about the seed pod on a Christmas cactus, we'd be interested to know uh, whether they've successfully produced seed and whether they've successfully produced a, a cactus from it as well, wouldn't we, Eve? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for your help. Thank you, Eve, and uh, look after that Christmas cactus because they they are a lovely-looking plant. And now I'm going to go to uh, Dawes Heath to talk to Paul. 
Um, it's good to hear that you're out in the garden, Paul. And what are you looking at particularly in your garden? Well, it's the moss at the moment, Ken. It's first time this year that I've had moss or it the last few years. I don't know what to do. Is it soft? Is it advisable to rake it up now? Or? Right, now hang on. This is on the, on the lawn, is it? On the lawn, yeah. I've got yeah. quite a large no, garden. No. Leave it just for now. Um, the, 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 th- the moss is there for a reason. Right? There's something which is underlies why it's there. So maybe it's, um, it's the lawn isn't draining enough or there's some shade. They're the two commonest ones. Or very alkaline or very acid. They're the four main reasons. But what we found yeah. this year is, particularly because a lot of uh, fine grasses got mm. wiped out through the summer period, yeah, we're actually yeah. finding that moss has taken over a lot of those areas. So there's a huge increase in moss on grass oh, see, from yeah. the bad, well, bad summer, good summer. Depends how you look at it, yeah, doesn't it, really, Paul? It was a good summer. <laughs> but the most important thing is is that you actually don't do it now. And if you want to treat mm. it, you treat it, what, March? Beginning of yeah. March at the earliest, I mean, the, the, really. The, people get obsessed with taking the moss out of there. I mean, like, what you need to do is, like, as Ken says, about March, because that's when the grass is growing. The, the real trick is to try and think, what does that grass need to grow? Because the, mm. the best way of, uh, of looking after a lawn is to look after the grass. There's no two ways about it. Ask any groundsman. That's the, first, that's the biggest priority. After that, there's all sorts of other things you can do, like scarifying, raking, top dressing. Which I do every year. Yeah. But, yeah, but the, the, th- the real thing is you've just got to think the grass needs to be well looked after. Mm. And so if you scrape out all of that moss now, the moss will start to grow back again anyway by about oh, March. But in the interim, if we get a frost next weekend, all the base of those grass plants are going to get the frost really penetrating down into it, okay? Mm. which means that it, will, it, it won't kill them, but it won't really do them any good. They've had this sort of wrapping of moss around them. So just leave it for now. The, the, the grass isn't growing at the moment, and it won't grow until we start to get a bit more sunlight in around about yeah. usually late February. It might start to be coaxed back into a bit more growth. Oh, thank you very much. I use okay. a liquid feed on it every six weeks. You know, one, uh, you know from about April onwards up until about September. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. You're not doing anything wrong on that at all. But leave it until it dries out or till March time to... Right about March, because the grass is growing. That's the thing. Is you, like, gr- I mean, the grass will grow a little bit in the winter. There's probably people listening thinking, oh, my grass was growing in December, but yeah. it isn't growing at the rate it would grow at, even no, if we get really mild. Yeah. I'm only so, Friday. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, yeah, but I mean, so it will grow a little bit. But the thing is, leave it now before you do any scarify. And when you scarify it as well, top dress it at the same time and then uh, about a week later give it a feed uh, with, the, with a general spring with feed. A sand or something or... A Top dress it well, sand and I mean I'm a, I'm a sort of sand and leaf mold if you've got it, but any organic matter, any sort of garden compost um, mm. which is nice, light and friable, something that's been well, um, well, well rotted. You, you can use uh, loam if you've got it, but I mean it's expensive to buy. You use quite a lot of it. I mean professional mm. grounds people use loam, but and sand is is a, or, is a key or, thing to put into it if you put if you're using organic compost. Oh, I see. Do we reseed that when you break that out or not? Um, you can overseed yeah. it, but it's, it, it's um, it only. F- I wouldn't really bother overseeding it unless you've got um, patches Big which are bare. Patches, yeah. yeah, because the grass, even if it looks a bit sort of um, sparse, will grow back into. We've usually got about three different species of grass in most grass mixes, and one of them will invariably be something like uh, either fescue or bent, which will creep out and, and mesh up the whole lawn. That's what it's there oh, for. Yeah. And so unless you've got completely sort of something like um, a lawn which is full of one species of grass, which is unlikely if it's been in for a few years, um, don't, don't be too quick to overseed. Because if, if you overseed it, sometimes um, that gives a bit more competition than the, the existing grass plants really need. Oh, 
I understand. Oh, thank okay. you very much. All right. Thank okay. you so much. I really appreciate no your help. That's hey, a welcome. pleasure, Paul. Uh, Moss is a real, you know, I, I'm sure it is the summer that has, has wiped out huge areas of fine grasses because they, they can't cope with that weather. I thought they'd come back, but they haven't. No, it's the heat. Is the thing, yes. Huge I mean, heat. It's just, just people were watering the lawns in the summer, and they, 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 it got to you know once it gets over about thirty degrees, a lot of grass plants it. go into um, uh, dormancy, and it was a long hot period. And, and then they die yeah. out, don't they? Yeah, some do. Yeah. So in fact, yeah, I know we've we've looked at some fine grass, and it's just mm. disappeared completely. Um, I've got a. I think this. I can't find a message with this picture. But I've been sent a picture by what looks like Mac Feeters. And it's that plant that we decided... It's a, it's a lovely display of plant, isn't it? Mm. Uh, it seems to be in two levels. It's a, is that a cordyline or...? Uh, it's a dracaena. It's a dracaena, uh, I'm isn't it? my brain. It's one of the variables. I think it's... It's um, an indoor one, isn't I, it? I think it's dracaena um, fragrance. But it's either dracaena fragrance or dracaena deramensis. Look at the picture. I'm it's not tacked sure. into... It's, it's held into its... Um, a moss pole, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It's actually a very nice display. I'm trying to work out whether it's in someone's house or whether they've been somewhere and spotted it yeah. because it really is very, very attractive they're, indeed. They're commonly used as office plants. I mean, uh, many years ago when I worked as an interior landscaper, we used to, one of the stock in trades was sticking things like Dracaena uh, deramensis and Dracaena tricolor and uh, Ficus benjamina, all these sort of real office stalwarts. We, we, they would put up with a lot of neglect. And that's <laughs> the thing about some of these Dracaenas is that they are able to withstand the environment inside a building quite well because we, we, if you're doing it for money, you have to make sure that it performs, of course. Now we've got some questions here. And Sarah from Harlow, just a reminder, sorry, 0800 111 That's the number to give us a call here in the studio. It's 0800 111 You can text me here in the studio, 81333. Start your message with the word Essex. Ken.Crowther at bbc.co.uk as well. And that is the uh, the uh, email address. So there are plenty, to, plenty of ways of getting hold of us. Uh, Sarah from Harlow, I'll go back to. Um, and should I cut the leaves off my hellebores? Now, this is something that... Um, <laughs> is, should I, shouldn't I? It, the yeah. trouble is they get a lot yeah. of spot at this they time do. of year, don't so they? The answer is, in my view, yes, but not yet. Right. You only cut the leaves off hellebores when the new leaves start to emerge because they are still producing food, albeit very much reduced amounts this time of the year. And so what you want to do is, in the spring, you'll suddenly notice a little clump, a tight clump of leaves which start to emerge right from the middle of the, uh, the plant, from where, the middle of where the flowers have been. At that point, you can take off old leaves and any old flower heads and things like that and just rejuvenate the plant, let it grow into the space. It's leave. quite difficult because the new flower's showing, isn't it? It's up and going yes, now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's I would a great leave temptation, up. isn't it? it? It is, you know, but I mean, just enjoy the flowers. I mean, avert your <laughs> eyes from the leaves if you need to, but it won't, it, it won't kill the plant if you remove the leaves, but there's no need to do it until about March. OK, now we've got an email here from Dennis, and he says, first, let me wish you uh, a happy uh, new year for 219. I've wrapped up my... It's a good question, actually. I've, I've, I do like some of your questions because they open up what people are doing across the county and beyond. And in fact, I've wrapped up my cordelines with fleece in November mm. to protect them from potential frost. As the weather has been incredibly mild, am I risking doing any damage? And it's... <laughs> 
It's true. This year, I I mean, I personally don't like people to wrap them until there's an imminence of bad weather. But people do just what Dennis has done, don't they? Um, Cordy lines are actually very hardy, down to about minus 12. So, I mean, um, Dennis was clearly expecting the, uh, the beast from the east to return early. Um, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is seeing what's going on over um, Central and Eastern Europe at the moment. Leave it as it is. It, it really isn't too far. It won't take a lot for it to creep over this way. Because, uh, despite all, the, the, the Met Office now don't make longer predictions. But I mean, they're, they're saying, <laughs> well, it could happen. And of course it could. If it's wrapped now, I'd leave it. Um, if in, I, I, I was quite well known for going bananas in my garden at home. Yes, and, you are uh, known and, uh, for your I bananas. I haven't wrapped them yet. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, if it, it's really good, I'm going to wrap around the base of them and leave the top growth up there. Because if the top gets damaged on a banana, it, does, it actually doesn't base, matter, does yeah, it? Yeah. And the same is true, really, of um, wrapped dracaena, uh, not dracaena, is that cordy cord lines? lines. Um, we wrap those, really. We're trying to um, keep the, the stem growing at the top because if they get cut back by frost, I mean, some of you remember 2010 when uh, all yes. the... Um, the cordy lines seemingly around Chelmsford especially uh, were the centre's got but they've grown from they? the base yeah they do shoot from the base they are, they are quite um, good that way but of course then you've got five six years before you get any significant regrowth on them I know I know. we we had a, a dead one in one of the gardens that we look after and in fact it's a it's, it's a forest at yes, the bottom and yeah. it's produced this clump of lovely leaves yeah and in fact it looks like a round bush but yeah. it's a cordy line yeah you know? And quite uh, attractive. Not a problem, is it? Yes, indeed. I mean, so I think that we we get very um, excited about trying to protect things. I think, it's, it's as you say, Ken, you've got to protect things when we need it. Early wrapping isn't always the best thing because the, the, you're excluding air from them, which means you've got still environment around them. Which is and, what he's worried about, yeah, isn't it? And if it gets all damp, it can rot. But I would say if it's been on all that time... Leave one alone at like this now. moment. Yeah. And then possibly watch the weather carefully and as we go into the next month yeah. if we get mild weather it would be better possibly to take it off yeah and then if and watch the weather it's it's rare that we'd get anything so severe by about march but you know so, so late february if it's been yeah. reasonably mild so you can take it off pretty sure that it's not gonna uh, and i've damage. just looked at the temperature on the roof here at the bbc uh building here in chelmsford nine plus degrees yes i mean that's what we're up against at the moment. Well, we're saying at the moment the nighttime temperatures are warmer than the average daytime temperatures for this time of the year. I know. Balmy. So, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> balmy. But we won't, we won't worry about that at all. Back to your gardening questions in a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Mick, what's your first one? Well, the first one is uh, the old superfood rhubarb, which has uh, really Ooh. sort of taken back off in terms of popularity recently. Ideal time to force it. If you've got a nice big uh, clump of it in the garden, you can take off a crown and uh, take it into the glass house. It's a bit too early to try and force it outside. You, you could try, but you bring a clump of it, put it into a pot, cover it over with something like an old dustbin or something like that, and uh, in about four uh, weeks, four or five weeks, you should start to see some really good um, stretches of um, rhubarb stems. So you could do that in a shed or greenhouse as well. The shed, uh, it doesn't need any light, so a shed's perfect. I mean, always try and exclude all light, because even in a shed, you've got windows and things like that. What you're trying to avoid is the um, is it colouring up. You certainly don't want the leaf to colour up. It should come up a real sort of pink, pale pink, pink colour, yeah. With well, yellowy the, leaves. Yes, yeah. yeah. What they always call the champagne rhubarb. I mean, there was, there was great sheds of this all over um, South Yorkshire at one one time growing this it was the thing to have and it's it's gone down a little bit in popularity now but certainly um spring rhubarb is probably some of the uh, the best that you'll taste that tastes the good yeah. that with custard oh, indeed lovely. yes yes <laughs> 
What else have you got then for us? Then? Well, now, just this January, of course, um, we start to think about the garden again. Those birds have been out there all winter. If you've been neglecting them a little bit, it's a good time to start feeding mm. them, or if you haven't been feeding them much. Also, because at the end of this month, we've got the Big Garden Bird Ooh. Watch, which you can send off your that's, packet to the RSPB and they'll send you a thing That's out. good fun, isn't it, as well? It is, yeah. I'm going to do it with my daughter this year. She's really looking forward to it. She's keen on birds. She's only nine years old, so I'm keen to go and do that. And so um, put the feeders out now. It means that the birds which are in the vicinity will see them and they'll start coming and visiting them. So when you sat out there for your hour... Um, they, they will be used to the feeder being there so they'll be less wary, they'll come and they'll feed it and you'll be able to do your count much more easily also you know that you're doing something good don't stop feeding them after the big garden bird watch or carry on right the way through into the early part of the summer and the other thing about feeding birds now is most of the berry has been eaten by them already hasn't it yeah i mean it depends really i mean in some areas thrushes will defend their own berry patch but it, with all this cold in eastern europe that we're getting at the moment that often chases across big flocks of wax wings and once they appear they'll strip every berry off something so birds may be struggling this time of the year and certainly things like the seed eating birds as well it's as well to have a couple of types of feeders get a peanut feeder out if you if you like you know but um certainly the um the mixed seed feast uh, feeders and a niger feeder for a very fine uh, seed really really important to try and make sure you feed the the best variety of birds that you can in the garden so mick your message is look after the birds absolutely always the gardening hour podcast on bbc essex with ken crowther And uh, we're going to be talking now on that phone number that he's called on 0800 111 to Chris in Braintree. Chris, what do you got for us? Hello there. Um, yeah, a bit of an unusual one, this. Um, but I've always wanted to have a go at growing mushrooms. <laughs> um, now, in the past, I've heard that they're no- notoriously difficult to get any success with. But I was just wondering, um, any advice? Um, Some of the kits are that, actually quite good. I was they? going to say that your, your, your easiest way, if, if you want to sort of dip your toes in the water with it, is to buy a kit because the kits come pre-sterilised. I mean, the, the difficulty with mushrooms in terms of growing a shed, and I'm no mushroom grower, so uh, but mushroom growers... I was going to say the mushroom growers of Essex, but there aren't any anymore. But, um, no, they're in, but, there's some in Suffolk still, uh, aren't there? Suffolk and Kent, Kent the nearest mushroom growers. Yeah, but the, the difficulty is keeping the things sterile. Um, you have to keep the temperature right as well. They used to be, now years ago, I don't think they still produce it, but there's equivalents around. It used to be something called a tubby mushroom kit. Oh, we know, in a tub. In a, in a plastic it? tub, like a great big paint tub sort of thing. You peel the top off and put, I think you just watered it. Watered it and up they came. And they came up, yes. Yeah, in so theory, all, as long as the temperature was right. Yeah, and the people, they always advise to stick it under your sink. In the you know, kitchen sink, because it, normally it's sort of reasonably uh, warm and humid under there for all sorts of obvious reasons. So yeah. that's the sort of thing I would suggest in the first place. Don't do, do anything like sort of start trying to set up your own mushroom shed and things like that until you've had a go at it and you've thought about it. Now, if you're gourmet mushrooms, on the other hand, you can actually buy these little impregnated dowels, which you it comes with a wood, the kit, yeah. yeah. You have to get some. They have to be fresh logs, and they'll tell you which logs they use. I think things like um, oak. Oak is be, one of the favourite. And you just drill, you can tell you the drill bit size to use, you drill it in there, you just, just push it in, it'll just slide in there, and you put it in an out-of-the-way part of the garden. And you can grow things like oyster mushrooms, lion's mane mushrooms, and things like that. You know. So there's, there's quite, that's another one we can do in a shady part of the garden. 
I must admit, when uh, we did it, I did it for the BBC uh, for Gardeners World a number of years ago, and um, they didn't grow there, but we, we, we got oyster mushrooms going out of all our old sleepers and things like that around <laughs> on the bed. We've now got to replace the sleepers because we've been <coughs> rotting them away. So um, mushrooms can be a bit tricky, but it is perfectly reasonable to try and grow them, but don't have over-expectations, because they're very, very fussy about the, um, the conditions. Yeah. If you get it right, they will grow really easily. I mean, I, I grew one once out of a... It was like a polythene block. If you imagine yeah. a block about two foot by one foot, yeah? And it was a straw, compacted straw. Mm-hmm. Same sort of principle. Cut the top off yeah. and then water it. So it's the same idea as a tub. Yeah. And yeah. they do exist today, Chris. So right. it's looking for something that will get you going. Yeah. And they're fun. Your best bet is to go online and have a look and see what people are offering because you can always go and see if it's in a garden centre. Most of the time, you'll probably find you, you may have to do it by mail order and pick it up somewhere via the garden centre, or they may just deliver it to you. But there are specialist producers out there. I know there's one uh, company trying to get off the ground uh, growing them on coffee grounds and things like that. So there's a lot of people interested in them. In, in how to grow mushrooms. Poor coffee grounds. They're getting used for everything today, oh, aren't they? Just, yeah. There's too many, too many <laughs> coffee drinkers. <laughs> Sorry? Um, now, my, my, my circumstances are, just very briefly, um, I, there's not much danger of me trying to set up a mushroom shed because I live in a flat. All right. Um, so what I thought was I've got a redundant airing cupboard mm-hmm. as my boiler's been moved, yeah. and it's still got the shelving in, and I was just wondering... Would it be plausible to use that? It's sat bang in the centre of the building. It's not subjected right. to draft. Yeah. And are some, are some pipes going through it still? Um, yes, I think so, but I'm so not it'll sure. So it'll have yeah. enough warmth. You don't want yeah. too much yeah. warmth, but it'll be enough warmth. That'll work, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. But, what, you can again, what I would a say is... of water yeah. by it to keep the moisture keep the level humidity, up, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just about using a propagator? No. No, no, no. no. Don't need it. have the air circulation. Um, what oh, I would I do see. is I'd get yourself a kit, like I said, and try it out in there. Because like I said, mm-hmm. once you re- understand the principles, the first thing the kit will establish is whether you're going to be able to provide the environment that the mushrooms will grow in. If yeah. if you can, then you can start thinking about how to... You, you can actually buy the spores, uh, and that, that we call in it mushroom spawns. You buy a pack of that, and you can make your own um, uh, straw compost and things that will buy it in. So you can actually then make your own trays and grow it yourself with for a little less than it would cost you to buy the kits. The kit just really is an indicator of whether you can do it. If you really struggle and fail with the kit, it you know you find something else to do in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And you well, can always go. I tell you what. No, I tell you what else you could grow in there as well if you want a bit of fun. You could grow. Um, Bean sprouts for your salads. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually done that in a previous they're, dwelling. and uh, They're good, aren't they? Quite mm. good. Yeah, so yeah. you've got a couple of things there you can get yeah. on with, haven't you? Or you could force a bit well, of rhubarb in there. Yeah, force a bit of rhubarb <laughs> as well, yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Okay, thanks very much. Can, you, can you, Chris, let us know how you get on with them? Because, we, you know, what this programme is about is not just us answering your questions. If you can then come back to them and say, well, actually, I bought a kit... It's in a tub, it's in this, it's in that, and I've grown it on in this. Other people can learn from that, and that is what this programme should be about. Okay? Okay, I certainly will then. Thank you, Chris. That's Chris from Braintree. Wants to grow mushrooms. Have you grown mushrooms? If you have, give us a call. Tell us how you grew them. 0800 111 Did you grow them in the airing cover? Did you just put them in the shed or the greenhouse in the summer? Tell us what you did. Alan from Chumps would like to know why. This is back to the... Anybody who's not, not listened to the whole programme, firstly, you can catch us on the, uh, on the app. Yes, app 
the BBC Sounds app, mm -hmm. and you can listen to the programme. And remember that the programme also has added tips and advice and plants of the week and all sorts of things on it. And you can catch up with it there, or you can listen now on the BBC Sounds app. But we were talking weather right at the beginning of the programme. We were talking about the weather and what's affecting different things. And Alan from... Uh, firstly, Mick said one of the stations that is used by the weather people is actually based in Riddle. At Riddle University. Riddle College. University College. Alan says, from Chelmsford, would like to know why it's two degrees colder in Riddle than elsewhere in the immediate neighbouring vicinity. Right. And that's a really good question it is, again. It is, and it gets down to my clock. The, where it's situated, the weather station, is very much in the open, so it's right out in a field. So it gives a genuine and accurate picture of the prevailing weather in an agricultural setting. If you took um, readings elsewhere on the campus, certainly, say, for instance, where I've got the, um, the, the tropical woodland areas, we call it, you know, uh, the, the uh, Hamilton Memorial Garden we've yeah. been building there, we, we're getting streptocarpus over winter. <laughs> okay, so, and so that's outside. You know, yeah, it's a bit so, different. And that's what we call we refer to as microclimate, because sometimes the, the, the cover of trees, the proximity of buildings, shelter from wind with hedges and things like that, will give you a very, very different climate. And there's no finer example of this than if you go to Tresco Abbey Gardens, which is out in a windswept uh, oh, part, part of the, uh, the Atlantic. But once you've got the hedging shelter belts there, you've got this sub subtropical environment. So that, that's all it is, really. They are. Thank you, Alan, for a, a very good question. We go back to the phones, 0800 4041, and we talk to a Gillian. Hello, Gillian. Sunny Clacton, Hello. or no, it's just cloudy, isn't it, at the moment? But it <laughs> yes, can be sunny. Always sunny in Clacton. <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> Sometimes. What? Um, what it is, I've left yeah. my geraniums in from last year, and they're all people going brown. <laughs> oh, do I cut them back? Depends how brown they've got. Yeah. Um, would you? I cut, actually, I don't personally. I don't think I cut them back. Not yet. It's oh, like all these things. Okay. If you if you cut them back now, it will let yes. more light down to the bottom. Which uh, uh, the geraniums themselves will will a bit of warmth, and they can actually start to grow. So a day like today, when it's like ten degrees, they are capable yeah. of a little bit of growth. Not much. Not as good as in the summer. If you cut them back now, you're getting a light in, even though it isn't a particularly sunny day today. It could be sunny later in the week. Yes. And it starts to stimulate growth. And that growth is fresh and young and vulnerable to frost. Now, the whole plant's vulnerable to frost, realistically, but you've got a better chance of keeping them going if you leave the, uh, the dead material on the top. It's given a little bit of shelter. Just like I was saying before about the weather, actually, a, a canopy of old dead leaves is actually giving shelter, especially from what we call radiation frost, which is when we get a clear sky at night and you get a frost uh, which emanates from the yeah. ground. Yeah. So it gives a bit, it's a bit like a canopy of trees in that sort of sense. So leave, uh -huh. leave them alone just for now. Cut them back, okay. even quite ruthlessly in the spring, if there's still some uh, living at the base, you might find that they come through. I've kept uh, pelagonians going for a number of years outside, but a good, if we get a, a beast from the east sort of thing, It'll you knock probably out. kill them. Knock them out. <laughs> okay, yeah. then, Gillian. Okay, many thanks. Okay, Gillian from sunny Clacton and Lynn from Hadley talking about um, the... We're back on weather, aren't we, Lynn? <laughs> yes, I've been on to the uh, Met Office and there's no forecast, no whatsoever for Essex. 
Oh, I tell you no. what, though, Lynn, there's, you're, you're, you're talking to a couple of sceptics here, you see, that say they're scared <laughs> to predict anything yeah. long-term. The, the, long the Met Office and so they started trying to do these long-term weather forecasts and they've stopped doing it now because what happens is if they say there's a chance seven, of it being cold... Seven days in a month, yeah, isn't it? Uh, and then the, it doesn't happen. All the journalists, of course, you know, suddenly become experts by the fact that they... You know, their Met Office were wrong, not because they were right, right? They start to pillory them, saying they know nothing. So they've become very, very reluctant to give anything more than about a seven-day forecast now. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is that at the moment there is no snow predicted and we've got a reasonably mild flow carrying on. Mm, but they the, say if New York get it, we get it, and New York haven't got it yet. Uh, well, that can yeah, happen, but, but, but it's if, not, you, not if you think about the beast on. from the east, it had nothing to do with New York. Uh, it did, because they had it... A month before we did. No, but it wasn't. That beast from the last year came over from Siberia. It's all to do oh. with the position of warm air in the stratosphere. Oh, and so, sorry. and so, oh, so it moves. I was talking to Elizabeth Rossini earlier. <laughs> sorry? I was actually talking to one of your weather presenters mm -hmm. who presents on BBC Sussex. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Rossini, yeah. And she said there's no snow this side of the No, Easter. no, no, well, no. There's, no, there's nothing which we can say. But having said that, um, they say nothing this side of Easter. Well, I mean, the, the next side of Easter could be December next year. So, I mean, it's, it's a fairly general prediction she's made. I think she's done the right thing. Yes, she's being very <laughs> careful in saying it. But, Lynn, we're there's pretty... Only two presenters, the weather presenters, I believe, uh, girl, no, no, quite well, Elizabeth and the other one, Sarah, Louis, uh, Sarah Lucas, or whatever her name is. i tell you what's lovely, Lynn, about the weather. The lovely thing about weather, Lynn, is that we can all argue about it, and especially gardeners, they always like to talk about it. Don't you agree, Lynn? Yep. And we're, never, and we're never happy with it We're either. never happy with it. <laughs> Lynn, thank you very much for your call, and thank you for pointing out what the forecasters are saying. And now let's go to Terry from Prettygate. Hello, Terry. Hello, uh, Ken. Um, I know this wouldn't be a potential job for now till after the birds have nested, but I've got a neighbour who has got a Berberis hedge. Yep. Now, this Berberis hedge is about seven and a half foot tall. Uh-huh. Um, and it's lollipopped, and it's only got about a third of growth at the top. When you look mm -hmm. through it, it's sort of bald, bare yeah. stems all yeah. the way down. Yeah. Now, she's asked me to work on this. Now, how low can I go without killing <laughs> right. right. Now, the, the thing is, Terry, in theory, in theory, birds aren't nesting yet, no, are they? They, they? You could still be cutting, couldn't birds you? Birds will still use hedges, but they use them for roosting. And provided you've got some of the roosting cover, um, it's not really going to cause them a major problem. No. Not the same as if they're nesting. Um, with You've got a good month, haven't yeah. you, to not worry about nesting? Easily, yeah. They're sort of doing a lot of displaying and trying to encourage females, mother, but it's not got to the stage. There's no insects about, which is what most of these uh, birds actually require. Now, with a Berberis hedge, depending on, you say, it's your neighbour's hedge, did you? Uh, near neighbour. Yeah, I mean, depending on what that hedge is doing, if there's a boundary between two properties... Um, no, it's depend on the front. Right. No. Oh, it's hers, it, it so could, it's theirs. Yeah, it could okay. be cut down, right down to the ground. You can take a Berberis down to ground level. Even it will though take, it's pulled on the stem? Yep, yep. it will grow from the base, the sucker from the base. Right. They're the hedging types. If you and, don't want to do that, yeah. you cut half the stem to the ground and leave the other half up, but it will yeah. look horrible. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it will, it will then form a hedge from the base. There's not really any way of doing that. If you trim the top, it will still carry on growing from the top because it's established yeah. that sort of uh, growth pattern. And certainly we had some at the, uh, the university which were, were uh, grown 
into a sort of an awful thicket. You know, they just haven't been pruned because, of course, some, uh, sometimes people don't like pruning them because they're rather prickly. They're nasty. And so we, the decision was taken. We just cut them right back down to the ground. And uh, which uh, the reason I remember it is I had one of them in a plant ident the following week and went there. So, what? Where's it gone? You know, but, but you can take them down and they do come back very vigorously. Does that help you, Terry? That helps me in immensely. Immensely, okay. <laughs> and let us know how you get on and what what your part of friend or what friend down the road thinks when well, if you cut it down. It's a neighbour who's a pensioner, and I'm a pensioner as well. So um, you know, she thought, "Well, you're a bit younger than me. I think you could do this job for me." <laughs> Terry, go down there and get going on it. You've got a good weekend this weekend. You won't cause it any harm, even if it goes cold. All right. Yes, Ken. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips that Mick has for us this week. Well, this time of the year, is, uh, like I said, we get back out in our gardens, you might have a few things that have died or you might have some new thoughts on what to do. You might be thinking about planting some new things. Maybe you want to have a rose bed. You might have an aspiration to do that. This time of the year is the perfect time to plant anything which is bare-rooted. It's getting a little bit on the late side once you leave it past the end of January. January is really the last window of opportunity. Get them in as early as you can. So go out, uh, buy bare roots if you need to now or order it and get it in quickly. Plant it. Uh, plant it well and make sure that you know, by the, uh, the end of the, um, the spring it should have started to establish. And that's things like you can get trees bare root, yes, you can get yeah. fruit bushes, Yeah, I mean most, most fruit trees and uh, yeah. rose bushes are better bought bare root. If you buy them in a container... Often they've just been plonked in a container and you're paying for the privilege of transporting a lot of compost along. It's, it's actually much more cost-effective for you to buy them as, um, as bare roots. And when you do put them in this time of the year, really important to make sure that the ones you've put in now and any that you put in earlier are kept weed-free. They've got to be kept really weed-free around the base for at least a year. And actually with trees, it's about five years before they're really able to compete with grass and uh, weeds around the base of them. So if you're planting fruit trees, yeah. keep the grass away. Do a circle around them. Put and around, mulch it, keep it weed-free. Um, and make sure that a circle needs to be about a metre in diameter. So what's, uh, have we got a final tip then yes, today? Yes, of course. Uh, uh, if you've not been brave enough to come outside just yet, you've probably got overwintering house plants or maybe those um, fuchsias and things like that you brought in in the autumn. But uh, So this time of the year is a good time to go over and do a good hygienic, uh, what I would call a hygienic once-over for them. Take off any dead leaves, which might uh, be a source of um, disease uh, ingress. Cut off any dead growth, prune, prune them back. Especially things things like fuchsias, which by the end of January will be actually telling you they want to get back into growth again. Good time to repot them, prune them up, do a bit of formative pruning, make sure you've got any dead material off them. Start to water them by about the end of January. By around about March, you'll have a lovely, healthy plant again. Thanks, Mick, for all those useful tips. Jackie from Frinton-on-Sea. I wonder whether she's anybody to, uh, to do with um, Mike from Frinton on sea because they often are asking questions they want to know what you do with red hot pokers at this time of the year nothing just, is the thing yeah just leave them for now let spring them. yeah yeah Cut and them. then what do you do in spring, in the spring i mean i just tear all that rubbish away i'm gonna say go from the outside in take off all the old leaves don't don't try and you can peel them off if they're if they're completely old leaves you can peel them off if you start to find that they're starting to to tear a bit and you're showing a lot of white at the base don't just cut those back but just clear off the old growth and leave the center they grow up through the center and so so don't do too much cutting back or anything like that. just leave them for now and I don't know whether you've noticed, but some of the red hot pokers around are still flowering. Yeah, aren't they? yeah. Well, in um, southern Africa, the the, uh, the aloes and the red hot pokers are all still part of the same general yeah. group. 
um, they are all winter flowering. Now that means that they normally flower around about July there. Okay, so July that, that's, to, yeah. that's winter in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. Okay. So it's not really that unusual. We, we we've sort of just confused them in Britain. You know, they, they can't flower in the winter, so they, they tend to flower uh, in the uh, the spring and the autumn when but the conditions it, are nearest to. What but they because need. it's mild. They think, they, it's, they think it's the time to they think, flower. They think it's the cape, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back to the phones and talk to Flo from Manor Park. Hello, Flo. Hello. When can you cut the ivy back? Can you cut it back now? Whenever you like, really. Yep. Yeah. You won't hurt ivy. Yeah. The only thing that ivy, people are very keen that ivy isn't cut back for, when it flowers, it mm. is very good for bees. Yeah. But if you cut it... No, if you cut it back now, you'd get regrowth and flower, wouldn't you, Mick? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it will only flower when it gets to a certain height. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if you, if it's not flower, don't worry about it. But if it's growing away from the wall, that's almost invariably because it's starting to make flowering growth. And that is a bit of a nuisance if it gets too heavy, because it'll make a great big heavy uh, a pile on, the, on the, the side of your wall, which will suddenly tear off and take half of your um, pointing <laughs> with it as well. So my advice would be to cut it back right tight to the wall now and let it grow again in the spring. And what we didn't okay. ask, Flo, is where it's growing. I mean, is it growing on the ground? Is it growing on the fence? Over is the it, fence. Is it ornamental? Is it one you planted? Uh, yeah, it's, really, it's taken over the garden. <laughs> It will do. It will do. You need okay. to. You need to get out there and trim if it. If you talk to any of my ex students, you know I wage a war on ivy most of the time. But yeah, but cut it back really, really tight, almost up to the fence itself. So, okay. Don't spare the knife to spoil the plants. Or spoil. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. That's thank a, you. That's a Bye-bye. pleasure. That number to call as uh, Flo did from Manor Park. Oh eight hundred triple one forty forty one. We got a couple more uh, texts to deal with. Um, good morning, Ken. This is from Maureen. I moved a large black caned bamboo last month. It doesn't look so healthy now. The leaves are browning. Is there anything I can do to save it? Well, you wouldn't know, would you, at this no. stage? No, I mean, what... all you can do, if you've watered it in when you put it in there, don't try and keep on watering it because, of course, it's like the watering it is the only way to make sure that the roots are in contact with the soil. Um, it will start to go, the, the, what you've got, the leaves uh, dying back are just the leaves that are there from previous year's growth. When you move it, what you're after is actually new growth coming from the base. One thing I would suggest is if you haven't gone through and thinned it, thin out about half of the oldest growth in there. So, and I mean, evenly through the whole of the crown you've uh, moved. And that will mean the space for the new culms, which are what we call the stems, to come up through, through the middle and not just around the outside. Right. Now we've got an email from Gerald Cross and uh, we'll look at that one. And uh, he is saying, can you help, please? Our daughter is getting married the 9th of February and is planning a natural theme to her special day. As part of this wish, mum and dad have planted green snowdrops in 10 centimetre pots late spring, about five to a pot, and left these to weather in a west facing, partially shaded spot outside. And at the moment, they're poking through the soil nicely, about two centimetres. It is hoped they will be in flower to act as table decoration at the time of the big day. They're Galanthus, they're the doubles, a popular double variety of which the name escapes him. What are the chances they'll be ready and should we do anything to help them along? Any help and advice? Well, I think their biggest worry would be that actually they might have 
come and gone. I yes. Mean, they, yeah, I, I would once they emerge, the flower is not far behind, is it? No, um, the, the flower comes up often well ahead of the um, in of terms the leaf. of speed of growth of the leaf. But my advice would be to leave them outside if you find it's about uh, maybe two weeks from the wedding and they are still very short and they're just emerging. That's when you can bring them in to a, a, a cool greenhouse or a, a, a cold um, or a shed uh, with a, a glass. Yeah, window. anything where you're not going to get any heat onto them because that will affect them adversely. The heat will make them will will, will damage the growth make them look poor bring them on when you need to but as ken says you know your biggest worry is going to be um stopping them from coming out if, if you carry them with mild run you might be uh you know finding they're actually going over too early <laughs> I, I don't want to alarm you or anything like that, but but certainly don't bring them in ahead of that time about two weeks should do it to force them into uh flower okay now let's uh, go back to the messages and i have a very prickly pyracantha bush that i need to remove due to some health renovation planted 25 years ago Kept it trimmed to about one and a half metres high. The central trunk is 10 centimetres in diameter. Uh, I can remove the bush, but wonder how deep the roots go and best way to remove them. The trunk is 35 centimetres from the house. Advice, please. Hang on. So it starts off by saying, can you work it? And then can you trim it? Oh, no, kept it trimmed. So yeah. they want it out, basically. Yeah. Well, he wants to move it. And I think that the question is, really, is, is with something like that, how big are the roots? Unfortunately, <sighs> quite big. Pyracanthus and the rosaceae, which is the rose family, and um, a lot of these things tend to um, have quite extensive root systems, and pyracantha roots quite deeply in. If you were going to move it, because um, it's an evergreen, semi-evergreen, March would be the best time, prune it back quite hard, lift it, get it into where you want it, try and keep as much of the, uh, the root on it as you can, and it'll need to be well watered through the first year. It's quite, quite difficult to uh, to lift and move, really. I not, not just because they're all covered in thorns. No, I think a lot of me would think that that might be too old. Yes, Do I you th think so? I, I think so. I mean, if, you, if, if you're hell-bent on moving it, you can try it. If you're willing to put the effort in and willing to accept failure if, it, if that occurs, it might be easier to buy a new one. Because they're not. They're that not expensive. I mean, I, I sometimes, I sometimes, you know, we go to gardens just as you get involved with people, mm. you know, that are interested and keen on their gardens, Mick. And they're so often trying to dig, protect a plant. Mm. I mean, you know, you can go around a garden and someone will look at it, and you, they'll look at a, say, a Philadelphus, a Cornus. Mm. Mm. Well, they're not ten. They're about ten pound, aren't they, to buy Is some of those? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you, yeah. even cheaper. Yeah. And you think, well, hang on, it's. Not a very good specimen. Dig it out, get rid of it, and start again. You would with, you yeah. throw vases of flowers away, Absolutely. don't we? As a professional horticulture, I always say horticulture is when you become a professional. You take a different view of it, and um, it's only worth preserving a, an old plant if there is some particular significance about it. So if it was planted by a very famous person yeah. or something like yeah. that, or has got a particular cultural significance. But plants have their day, and the, the beauty of a plant is you can replace it. You know, I mean, it's a you can you go on holiday and leave them. You couldn't do that if you kept um, sort of pigs or dogs. Or, you know, <laughs> there's welfare issues. Whereas plants, they, they are a finite thing. And so, you, if you've got a long-term plan to to move something, you can always try propagating it. And you can, in essence, have that same plant because it's a clone of the parent. So, I mean, you, you need to take that kind of um, take take a leaf out of the book of the professionals and sort of say occasionally it helps to be to be harsh on this because you'll save yourself an awful lot of work. If you've got to dig it out, you've got to dig it out anyway. But it's so a sight easier to dig it out to throw it away than it is to dig it out to exactly, try and preserve it. Exactly, because you've got to dig 
we just said, a big yeah. root ball. Yes. Huge indeed, root yeah, ball. Yeah. Especially on a plant that big, on well, that pyrocanthus. It sounds like it would be. It's uh, big. If, you, if you're asking me to do it, I'd be slapping my head, I think. <laughs> no, you get the saw out and cut it down <laughs> and get rid of it. Yeah. Um, a, a text here from Jen, and Jen says, Please, can you tell me when the best time to plant a tassel bush? I've got a couple oh, Ga- of weeks ago. Gary Elliptica. Gary Elliptica. Yeah, yeah. They aren't. I mean, again, fantastic plant for winter, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're looking. I mean, people want them now because they've just seen them. What's that plant? It's a, it's one of my favourite shrubs. It's it phenomenal. is mine as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, plant them around about March. Most evergreens are happiest planted um, around about September to November or late February to um, to mid-March is, is the ideal time. It's winter, so maybe even late March, but they like to be when they're growing, you put them in. Whereas all your bare root stuff, you're putting in now when it's not growing. Now, remember also, for people who don't know what we're talking about, it's an evergreen shrub. Mm-hmm. The only thing that it suffers with, sometimes it gets a, a brown leaf spot. Yeah. But other than that, it's pretty easy. You can grow it against fences yeah. as a wall shrub. Don't grow it in the wind, though. doesn't, doesn't like, like the wind. Burned, yeah. doesn't yeah. it? The leaves get burned around the margin. But it so. has the tassels. can be anything from four inches to sort of seven or eight inches. And if you are going to buy one... Um, Although nearly all of them in cultivation are this cultivar, buy one called James Roof. The best. It's, it's a male one because you make separate male and female plants. It's the male catkins, which are the great long silk tassels, and James Roof has the best of all of them. Now, just uh, briefly, as the last question that's coming. Good morning, James. I wrapped a few of my white wisteria stems early last summer to get some air-layered cuttings for people who have mud. Carefully checked the layers recently, and all the stems have rooted nicely, but I need to know at what point should I separate them for potting up? I think it should be in spring. Should I do it whilst the plant is still dormant? maybe during the spring pruning session or after the plant stems have come back into growth. No, I mean, if we've rooted in, if there's roots on them, do them now, get them in some compost, um, put them in a sheltered spot, um, a a cold frame you could put them in, or um, a sheltered spot in the garden once you've potted them up. Just put them into an ordinary standard potting mix um, in plastic pots or whatever, or the final pot if you want to put in there, they will um, will start to grow in the spring. And the other thing you can do is you can layer those as well, can't you? You can. Well, there's usually self-layer. Again, another one of these things I fought a war against at the (laughs) university. We had one which layered itself through a whole board I wanted. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Just go to Ken Crowther. Don't forget... If you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, every Saturday morning on BBC Essex, it's the gardening phone-in from 11.